0: Live from the Pacific Northwest, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. Real, true stories. May the narrative be with you. When I was three years old, I developed a deep and profound love for the movies. I was so small, and they were so big, I could just sit there and lose myself be taken to other worlds, and, and feel, feel deeply. When I was five years old, I let my mother know that I wanted to be a ballet dancer. She told me that if I did that, that I would be called a sissy. So nobody was really surprised when I turned 11 and started doing community theater musicals, like Oliver, please, sir, I want some more, or I'd like to be in a guy. West Side Story, and everybody loves Oklahoma. I went to Kansas City on a Friday. <laughs> Saturday, I learned a thing or two. <laughs> Jeez, that's been 40 years, guys. Wow. <laughs> but uh, my first non-singing role was in a show called The Flowers for Algernon, and I played Charlie. And I knew from that point forward that I was going to be an actor because I was good, and I knew that I was good. But by the time I got out of high school I had played a whole slew of characters including the king of Siam and the king and I etc 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 It never goes away If you do that role it sticks with you for the duration And I had a drama teacher that couldn't keep his hands off of me, but that's another story. It really does happen, and we'll deal with that some other time, okay? I knew that I was going to go to a professional training program instead of like a regular university. I was going to go to the Conservatory of Theater Arts at Webster in Webster Grove, St. Louis, now, <laughs> Webster Groves is this little burg right outside of the city limits of St. Louis. It reminds me quite a bit of Portland. There's lots of trees and green, lots of eccentrics walking around on the streets, especially if the actors are there, then it's really you know the eccentrics walk on the streets. Well, as first-year actors came together and we started talking to each other. And we discovered that we had all been through the same thing. We had all been famous where we were before. We had all been the big fish in a small pond. And here we are all together creating an ensemble and beginning a new way of life. Now, it's really difficult for me to spell out what this acting training is like. But have you ever seen the movie Fame? the original movie, not the remake, not the TV series, you know. Fame, I'm gonna live forever, Light at the sky like a flame. You know that. That's pretty much how it was. It was just a lot more intense and much, much, much harder. There was a lot of you know, being animals and rolling around, and there was a lot of touchy-feely going on and a lot of massage. We massaged each other all day long. I mean, it was really, really cool. (laughs) When you bring up this kind of energy with a bunch of young people, all of a sudden everything becomes rather erotic. So it wouldn't be weird at all to decide to sleep with someone just because you wanted to get to know them. I mean, this is 1981. This is way before AIDS hit the St. Louis area. Definitely. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) I myself was pretty much identifying myself as, as gay at the time. But the truth was, I was really bisexual. I mean, that's what my behavior was. I just didn't like the word, bisexual. I mean, it sounds so clinical. Or, you know, bisexual on a porn movie or something. I mean, where, where in the hell are the bisexual bars? We've got gay bars, we've got drag queen bars, we've got uh, lesbian bars, and where the hell's the the, the the bisexual bars? I guess I'll probably have to go to Amsterdam to find that. (laughs) After the second year, you have to re-audition for the same program, and only a third of the class gets asked back, so it's really, really intense. I got a good friend of mine, Peggy Taphorn, who, oh my goodness, she was so hot. She was a musical theater star extraordinaire, and I was starstruck completely. She and I decided that we would do the raciest love scene possible. So we discovered a little-known play called Until the Monkey Comes. That's the real title of the play. I did not make that up. That's real. And we must have did the right thing because both of us got asked back for the third and fourth years, which was fantastic. Now, the summer after that took place, before I returned from my junior year, all the things with the drama teacher in Fort Smith, Arkansas, blew the fuck up. I mean, it was crazy. He lost his job. My parents got involved. I felt bad. I felt like it was partly my responsibility. I didn't really have anybody to talk to. You know, and so by the time I got to school, I was kind of a mess. But see, in the ensemble of this group, I was the guy that was solid. I was the rock. I was the guy that could do anything, take any risk, throw himself out into the wild blue yonder. So people would look at me and they would think, Well, there's nothing wrong with Daniel. I'm sure he's gonna be fine. He's gonna be fine. But the thing was I was very, very vulnerable. They gave me a role, cast me in a show called The Runner Stumbles. This is a story about a priest who's on trial for killing a nun whom he had had a relationship with. And this is a true story. It was a very, very difficult play. Monologues galore, and I was going to be on stage almost every single minute of it. So it was a big deal. And unfortunately, the director was really young kind of inexperienced, and I didn't get a whole lot of guidance. So I threw myself in the text, and I started working on it, and then, ooh, I did something that I should never do, but it happens all the time. I start manifesting in my life the things that are going on in the play. Enter Pamela Zoth, wife of director Milton Zoth from the Repertory Theater of St. Louis at the conservatory. Now, I adored Pam. I had spent some time with her the year before. She had had a stroke, and she kind of needed some cheering up and a playmate. So my boyfriend and I sort of took her under our wings, and we had a really good time. So when Pam showed up, I was really hyped to see her. I thought it was great. She had this fabulous, like, Farrah Fawcett hairdo now, you know? So I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. And she comes to me, and she says, Dan, I think I'm becoming a lesbian. I need to get away from my husband, Milt. I need a place to stay for a little while so I can figure things out. I should have seen the red flag, but I didn't. She came in to stay with us, and within 24 hours, we had slept together. Now, I know I'm easy, but I don't remember anything about that whatsoever. Not at all. But then things started to get really, really strange. This woman started to get herself involved in all the areas of my life, except for the play, of course. But it was like there I was in the clutches of the Black Widow spider with not knowing what the hell to do. I mean, I wasn't emotionally or mentally prepared to to be around someone that was gonna be like that. And it got progressively worse one day i came home and she's throwing pots and pans at the wall she's screaming you can't love me if you love me i'll kill you another red flag and it just got worse from there the things with the show got more and more and more intense And Pam got sort of crazier and crazier and crazier, and all along I'm looking at this script going, I don't know how all this stuff is going to get in my head, and I was really afraid. I was afraid because there was violence in this play, and eventually I realized that if I didn't get some kind of help, that I was going to either hurt myself or somebody else. I was afraid of that. So I got in the car and drove myself to the first hospital that I could find, and they checked me into the psychiatric ward of uh, St. Mary's in in St. Louis. And it was, immediately I was kind of relieved. The big relief came when I got to let go of that part in that show. Ironically, the director that didn't know much, he had to end up doing it. That was pretty funny. And me, gosh, you know, I just sort of laid back. I sort of existed on Hawaiian Punch and cigarettes and Xanax, you know, and it was all just kind of chill. It really was. It wasn't like cuckoo's nest or nothing, but I did see the ECT, the electroconvulsive shock therapy room, and that scared the shit out of me. I mean, really. The psychiatrist comes up to me and he says, why don't you tell this woman, Pam, to stop coming to visit you for a while? She was there every day bringing me stuff. Food, books, whatever, you know. I was like, okay, I can do that. So I told Pam, and she got really strange and just disappeared. So I'm like, ah, great relief. A couple of weeks later, after I get out of the hospital, Pam hunts me down. I'm watching the Oscars with a bunch of other actors, and if you don't know it, the Oscars are like the Super Bowl for actors, for sure. She gets me, she drags me outside, and she says, Danny, what would you think, what would you say if I told you that I was going to have your baby? But I'm going to stay married to Milt. And you can be like a surrogate father. I didn't know what to say, except why I hope I could have some sort of a role in the child's life. She left. Next day, I get a message on my machine. Danny, if you don't come to the Howard Johnsons on Highway 44, I... I, 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 I'll kill you." I got the courage, I got in the car, I went to the Howard Johnson. She was sitting there waiting for me in a booth, drinking a mint chocolate chip soda. I sat down, and she looked at me, and she stared at me really, really intensely, and she said, Danny LaForce, you are not a man. You are a little boy. I told you last night that I was going to have your child, and you did not offer me one bit of financial assistance. You hate yourself. You hate yourself so much. And one day, you will lose everything it is that you have, all of your friends, your car, everything. And then you will know the truth about what I'm saying to you. And she was gone. And I crumbled in a heap on the floor right next to the frickin' booth. My friends from school had to scoop me up, take me to another hospital, St. John's this time. It was a little bit more of a therapeutic kind of environment. They took me off the Xanax and put me on something else. And, you know, things got sort of like, you know, on a straight line, even keel. And then all of a sudden, I started remembering things all the time that Pam had mentioned that she wanted to have a child and she could not get pregnant from her husband because he was sterile. And she said this many times, and it went straight over my head. She had been really ill the year before. I didn't even think she could get pregnant. It was just really, really, really hard. And I was angry at her because she knew exactly what she was doing. She knew I was doing that show. She knew when up get involved in my life, you know, and she got what it was that she wanted. And my dream, my dream of acting just went <laughs> dead, gone. I didn't want to do it again. I did not want to talk about it. I didn't want to see it. thought I might become a director. That was a possibility. So the next year, I did not go back to school. I stayed in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Had a pretty good time. Managed a video store back in the early days of video. And I partied my ass off because in Fort Smith, Arkansas, in 1984, there were three gay bars. Thank you to the lesbian mafia. It was great. I had a really wild time. It was fun. And then I found out about this scholarship to Circle in the Square Theater School that would be given by Theater Memphis called the Memphis Acting Award. They would give it each year to one person from the South to go to New York on Broadway and to work at Circle in the Square. I was like, that's my trip to New York. I said, that's my way to get there. And all of a sudden, that old feeling about being the actor started to come up in me again, and I got really excited about it. And lo and behold, by the time I got to Memphis, I won that thing. It blew my mind. And phew, there I was in New York City, Circle in the Square Theatre School, some of the most famous teachers in the world, and they taught me that my sensitivity was a gift and that it was something for me to to take care of and and to nurture and whatnot. Great, great training. Then I decided that I'm going to call Pam. I got up the courage. I wanted to know what happened with the child. You know, I was my child. I wanted to know what happened. She told me, that they had given the child up for adoption, that her name was Grace, and that she was adopted by a family in Kansas City, and her husband's name, Milt, was on the birth certificate. Not a good thing. Then she told me that after the baby, she went through several breakdowns, ending up being... An experiment at Washington University Medical Center for uh, borderline personality disorder and bipolar she went through hundreds of shock therapy treatments she was not the same woman that I talked to before so I mean how can you be mad at, at someone that that's mentally ill like that you know I just I couldn't, but that image of that scene with her and me in that restaurant, that would play out in my mind every day the rest of my life. Then I found out I was going to do this story, and I thought, well, let me go online and see if... There's anything on there about Pam. See if I can find out where she is and what she's doing because I didn't. I was kind of scared. I didn't want to like freak her out or make her mad or or anything like that because she was so vulnerable. I looked online and I discovered an obituary from December of 2014, just last year. She died. I have no idea how, why, what was going on. The obituary didn't say much of anything. But for me, I was immediately relieved. And within seconds, I went to the website adopted.com and I put myself out there so that my daughter could find me if she wanted to. Because now I was free and clear. And that was a wonderful thing. So Pam, I am a man. And I love myself. I love myself very, very much. I pray and hope that the next life that you have it's much simpler, easier, and joyful than the one that you just came out of. Grace. I am so so sorry. That I couldn't be there if you wanted to find me. The truth was, I was afraid that I didn't think you would like me. I didn't think that you would want to be my daughter. I was such a mess. I felt so bad about myself. And Pam was right. At that one point, I did hate myself. So, I think now, perhaps at this stage in our life, we might have something to share with each other. So, look for me on adopted.com if you're seeing this. The name is Daniel 33. It should be pretty easy to find. (laughs) And as for me, well, (laughs) I have an awful lot of stuff on my plate trying to stay well and be well and happy and whatnot, but hell? Doesn't everybody right now? I mean, geez, look at what's going on on the planet. It's rock and roll time here. If we don't start taking an interest in each other and helping each other out, we're going to have a major thing to deal with here. I haven't done any acting since I moved to Portland. It's been like seven, seven, eight years since I've done any acting. Because I still love the movies, (laughs) definitely. But I found the Portland Story Theater. And to me, (laughs) telling stories from here is a hell of a lot more fun and infinitely more interesting than acting ever was. And the show goes on. Thank you.